This is your Drive Time News Blast. 30 minutes jam-packed with news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. Well, Binkley, I think we should start with the debate. Although, talking about corona deaths is always a, a, a fascinating and cheerful way to start the show. But the debate's kind of, I think they put me in a terrible mood. I just walked by the TV last night where people were watching it, and like everybody's yelling at each other. And plus, I felt like I was back in my hometown of New York. Is Bernie Sanders from New York? I don't know. He's, I, I he's don't kind of from Vermont, but he sounds like he's from New York. And he's so Bloomberg, old, nobody has his actual birth certificate. We don't know where he's from. Yeah, that could be true. Like it was before recorded <laughs> vital statistics. Like my grandmother from Ireland, it just had like the year. Right. <laughs> yeah, that debate was terrible. The audience left and went and begged to get the coronavirus afterwards because it was terrible. <laughs> Well, I have fantasized about being in the hospital for a while. I don't want to die, but I, I would I would definitely take a mild case of pneumonia to get out of my house. I see. Door. It's quite a fantasy. <laughs> Just something little. I remember when I was an investment banker, there was a thing that went around that said, you know, you're working too hard if you think it would be good to like be in a minor car accident that like whatever broke your arm you can't work but you're not like really messed up or like you went to jail like a really good white collar jail for six months you tell me your so, fantasies pneumonia <laughs> a mild case you know things are bad when you're fantasizing about that so anyway but yes i'm sure people were fantasizing of losing their senses of sight and hearing at that point in that debate it was terrible I usually watch these things the next day at two times speed, but I just, it, it made it like twice as bad. So I'm out. It's all you, buddy. <laughs> I watched the first half of it and the second half of it. I didn't watch, I, I watched some of the clips of it today. From what I understand and what I can tell, the second half was a little more exciting, but the first half was just, they just came out and it's like they were getting in line to see who could do the best job at attacking the closest Trump-like figure that is available because everything. Oh, about kind of him, like he's like a uh, a voodoo doll of Trump. Like if they could burn him in effigy or poke pins in him, that Trump would feel the pain. He's like a community theater version of Trump, is how I see him. He's not as okay. charismatic. He doesn't own the stage, but he has the same no nonsense attitude. New York guy, wealthy. Yeah. Doesn't really apologize, although he kind of apologized, which screwed him over. The way he reacted to Elizabeth Warren's initial attack, I don't know if you saw her initial attack. That he's like a sexist, racist pig or something. That's he calls every- women. Th- th- this really annoys me. Yeah. I have to say, I did see like a five-minute highlight reel. She repeated the epithets she was saying that she didn't like him saying. I find that absolutely yes, offensive. I noticed I that as absolutely well. find that offensive. Especially if you mean it in good fun or whatever, I can forgive you. But you know it's wrong. And for your sensationalistic purposes, you say the one thing that, you know, that, that nobody else heard him say that to anyone, right? She just said that to millions of people. It doesn't matter what she means by it, it's offensive. And she was so eager, too. 
The debate started off by asking Bernie Sanders about how Bloomberg says he's middle of the road and you're too radical. Is he – are you too radical for the party or whatever? And Elizabeth Warren, from the second the debate started, was basically leaning over her podium going, call on me. Call on me. I, I've got a zinger that I want to get out before somebody else gets it out. And, and then Like George Costanza and the shrimp. Right. Even, even in the reaction to Bernie Sanders, because everything Bernie said is exactly like the shrimp in uh, Seinfeld. They go to Bloomberg for a reaction and – Elizabeth Warren is sandwiched in between them going, no, 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 come to me for the reaction. Come to me for the reaction. I mean, she's wetting herself. You're, you're actually doing a good imitation of her, she, even though nobody can see it. This is what she said. This is her first out-of-the-gate quote to Bloomberg, and this was she was so excited to get this one out there. She goes, I'd like to talk about who we're running against, a billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. And the crowd's like, ooh, they just go wild. <laughs> Snap. Yeah. And I mean, she Although, was, does it count that you just said what I thought we shouldn't say? What, reading the. Actually, you're fine because that's what we do. But her being indignant about yeah, well, it. Her saying. And that. then repeating it. You know what I mean? Like, why would you say that? Right. What's her problem with horse faced lesbians? <laughs> they have rights also. That's how Bloomberg should have reacted. The problem with Bloomberg's I'm not react- a big fan of name-calling, so I don't really I, – I, I don't do it, but she was yelling at him for doing it, and she put it out there. You know, it's like the N-word. You're not allowed to say it. I get it. It's totally offensive. Even if you're Papa John and say, I never say the N-word, and they're like, you have to say it. I never say it. It's it, – even if you mean not to say it and you say it, it's – the de facto offensive that's from her camp yeah so then how come she gets to say something because it's not offensive enough to be unsaid but it's still offensive enough because she's fighting this fight against this rich white billionaire but she wasn't the only one that said something like that one of the moderators asked a question at one point the question was to bloomberg and i don't even remember what the real purpose of the question was i don't think there was one but she said mayor bloomberg you Allegedly, you were in a lawsuit from like 1999 or 2000 or something. One of your former employees said that you looked at her and looked over to another coworker and said, I'd totally do her. Does America deserve better? The question was something like that. Like, what kind of question is that? Uh huh. Yeah. What's he supposed just, to say? How do you how do you even answer a question like he shouldn't have humored it? He should have just gone on the attack. This is so. Where what he, did he say? He diverted the attention back to – he didn't really apologize. He kind of says, well, I, I apologize when I needed to. But then he, he said – He seems so asexual. I don't I, – I can't believe he would even engage his, in that. His but. demeanor was kind of like somebody who shrugs at the insults and kind of tries to appear like he's sorry. But like Trump, doesn't really apologize because he's obviously not sorry and he knows he's got money. So he's not worried about this debate. But the, what he should have oh, done yeah. – Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Because he was set up to, to – look. He, he knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to do this. So if he's truly trying to actually run instead of just being a stand-in for Donald Trump while everybody else practices, then he should have done what Trump did when he was doing the debates, and he should have responded to Elizabeth Warren something like, 
and you pretended to be a Native American for your entire right. life so you could get benefits of this. Look, you, we all know, and, and if the crowd moans, and they will because it's a stacked audience, he points that out. Right. This is a stacked audience to make it appear as though that, America, that communism is mainstream in America. It's not. Most of America are not like the people on this stage, and you're attacking me because you don't have any issues to talk about. He, he should have gone on an attack. Yeah, he doesn't seem to me like he's really trying to win. Yes, I don't think that his image or identity or whatever lends itself to winning the Democratic nomination. And I do think that he's playing a little game. I think he loves the limelight, so he's happy to play that game. But it's kind of hard for him to put his heart into it because he's the big shot. He's the billionaire. He's run the show before. I think that he, when you look at some of the initiatives he's done in the past with his money, one thing I remember reading about years ago was he and I think Bill Gates put $400 million together to lobby, quote, foreign governments to ban smoking. So mind your own effing business, buddy. So this is a guy who literally wants to control the world. And when I see his ads focusing on gun control and gun crime and that kind of thing, they seem like ads for gun control. So he might be doing what I admire Ron Paul for doing because I liked his message and I don't unadmire Bloomberg, but I question his motives that the the campaign is about the message. And I wouldn't put it past him. Him and Donald Trump probably went back a long time, probably have a lot of common friends, a lot of common interests. I wouldn't be surprised if Bloomberg wants Trump to win. I mean, Jeff Zucker, I think, wanted Trump to win. I wouldn't surprise me either. It would... I bet that Bloomberg's news organization is making a killing right now. So I bet oh, while he's Jeff spending Zucker this money. Jeff Zucker is yeah. the news guy. CNN oh, has never been healthier. Jeff Zucker runs CNN, but he also was a boss of The Apprentice when Donald Trump was the boss on The Apprentice. Right. Zucker was his boss. Yeah. But when CNN rolled along and said, oh, Republicans, please, us Democrats want you to vote for anyone but Trump. Pleasey, pleasey, pleasey. And then the Republicans are like, you see how it makes them crazy? My brother, Georgia Friendly Truck Driver, said to me the other day, I was like, why do you like Trump so much? He's like, there's only one reason. He pisses off the people I hate. And that's all there is to it. And it's brilliant. And that, if if Bloomberg is running a media, I don't know what his, what his how much he makes from the media elements of it. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. His prominence and Bloomberg News' prominence has done nothing but soar since he got into the race. So he can, while he's spending a lot of money, he's going to be able to cash in on it as well. That is so interesting. And I almost feel like Harvey Weinstein, his company was going to go bankrupt and then it got sold. I remember the Clippers thing. It, it went after that scandal went for the biggest price an NBA team had ever gone for, I think, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I mean, it's just no PR is bad PR, man. Yeah, and outside of him being attacked most of the time, he did call Bernie a communist at one point in the second half, which good because Bernie, he's he he is He's a communist in the true sense of the word. He wants to he wants everybody else to be in the factory, and he wants to sit in the back room with the caviar. Did you hear Sanders' response to Bloomberg talking about uh, America's a great country? The most prominent socialist in this country has yes, three has houses. Yes, has three houses. That, that was and the bird's like, oh, excuse reel. me, excuse me. I have a house in Washington. I work here. I have, I, I have a, I have a summer camp. I have a summer what camp. What does that mean? What, what, what that kind mean? of ant, like what kind of defense is that? It's like saying, no, no, excuse me, excuse me. But he's a, never. It's not that he's a socialist. Is that I believe he's never had a private sector job. Yeah, kind of like Obama. So 
when when you have all that money and you've never had a real job, and there's something else about that that I don't like, not just that you've always been paid out of the taxpayers, but journalists, academics, and politicians who are so influential in the world, so influential, never have to really experience the consequences of decisions they make like you do if you run a company and say, hey, I put a lot of money into this. It didn't work. I'm screwed. It's totally consequences for everybody else in the world. But the influencers, the true mega influencers are the ones who the rubber never has to meet the road. So this guy got rich for for not even probably taking away value. Obviously, I would say taking away value, but not even adding value to the people who are paying his salary. Because there's really no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Bernie's gotten rich off of being an agitator his entire life. Right. And now he's, well, I only have, I have one, I only have two pools, I only have three Mercedes. What kind of defense is he giving with these houses? (laughs) And then Pete Budovich and Klobuchar got into like a, a cat fight. Klobuchar was really upset with Budovich because. She said that he – she started talking crackily. I think she was doing this on purpose. She started kind of going, why well, are you saying that, that I'm dumb? Like I, She transformed she's, herself. She's a weird little character. She made herself look like a victim. She, she had to make herself smaller and less intimidating than Pete Budovich because he looks pretty unassuming when you look. He doesn't look like he's going to come and threaten somebody. So she was attempting to make herself the victim of Pete Budovich, which is pretty hilarious, but – it was just like, why am I watching this? Why am I watching you know, this interchange right now? The, the interchange was about this. They spent five minutes talking about Amy Klobuchar last week was asked if she knew who the president of Mexico was. She said no. And they spent wow, five really? freaking minutes talking about it. She wasn't Over the door. only one. She wasn't the only and one. And Pino Nieto, or whatever his name is, is just brought up on corruption charges. I know about the current and the past. I knew. I, I thought to myself. <laughs> no, I thought to myself. Nobody knows the president of Mexico. Then I went. I bet Monica does. <laughs> but nobody else knows that. And they're talking about this issue as though that's like there's like people who are one one issue voters going. Nope, nope. I was all the way with Klobuchar till she didn't know the name of the Mexican president. <laughs> who cares? What about when Gary Johnson said? What is Aleppo? And I actually looked it up, and Aleppo is a fish. <laughs> but they were asking him about Aleppo, in Syria, the right? city in Syria. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I took. But it I still take, wasn't yeah. a deal breaker. It's I don't just, care. People were talking about how good this debate was because people finally had some fire. and some, All they did was they only had fire because they had somebody who was just like Donald Trump in their, their stand-in for Donald Trump. Like you have a stand-in when you're filming a yes. movie. This is yes. what he was doing out there. And they're all like, yeah, let's come after this Yeah, when the show goes on the road, they have like the, the B-list actor, the traveling actor. Well, two things, I, other things that I was noticing. One is two mayors were on that stage, two Big city, well, not even big city mayors. So two mayors. And it it makes me think that it just reminds me of when Trump pulled out of the Paris Accord or other things that people haven't liked on the, the state or local level or the federal level, instead of looking for more subsidiarity and saying, hey, we want greater control over our locality because we don't agree with you. Mayors have reached out into international mayoral conferences, committees. They get their marching orders from 
from these globalist organizations, which I don't know specifically, but I feel like the World Economic Forum would be one, perhaps. The Bosch Foundation might be one. The Rockefeller Foundation. But the UN does stuff like that. The World Bank will have international meetings like that. I don't know who does the mayor one, but there are international coalitions of mayors, and they reach above the federal and state layers to plug directly into what is this, I think, beginning to coalesce as a world government. And two of them are on that stage out of like six people. And then Biden, I was looking for Which ones are those two? Budovich? I want to... I, I don't know if it's booty judge, booty gig, or booty bitch, but booty gig gig. That's how Trump said it. Mayor Pete. That's why. And I, Mayor yeah. Bloomberg. That's right. Right. Mayor Pete, Mayor Bloomberg, and then Biden. I was looking for signs of neurological impairment, as usual, to see if he really has it. I was trying to like look into his eyes and see if he was faking <laughs> or not. But then people started heckling him. Did you catch that? I did. Yeah. What were they heckling? I don't. No, I couldn't you hear. You couldn't tell. You couldn't hear it. Yeah, he hardly spoke at all. That. He hardly had any time. He's to done. He's done. He's like, you know what? I did this. I'm just going to like, I can't leave as soon as dinner's finished. But as soon as dessert's finished, I'm when, out of here. When they were ta- <laughs> I'm yeah. not even going to eat it. When they were talking about <laughs> the name of the Mexican president for like, I feel like this just debate went on forever. And it was so empty and useless and meaningless about, well, did you know the name of the president? Well, you didn't know the name of this. Well, what about this trivia well, that question? was like the Sarah Palin trick. What's the Bush doctrine? Yeah, she didn't even know the Bush doctrine. It's like she didn't know what you were thinking and calling the Bush doctrine. Yeah, it's, it's a not gotcha like she question. didn't understand what the Marshall plan was. And, yeah. She didn't know what the Bush doctrine, you know what I mean? It's like, what the fuck is the Bush? I still don't know. What is the Bush doctrine? Who knows? Right. So I know the president of Mexico, but I don't know the Bush doctrine. What's the Bush doctrine? Blow people up, make it up, make it look like it's their fault. Perhaps. Uh, I think that's that's a lot of doctrines. <laughs> I think it's as good as anything. In, in that's what she should have said. But she did. She gave an answer, but it doesn't matter if they kept going. And I do not agree with her politics, of course. They kept but. going back and forth to the other side of the stage during this debate. And they keep passing Biden with the camera. And it's almost like Biden, every time the camera passed, just has his hands up in the air going, well, uh, uh, hello, <laughs> I'm the only person who knows the president of Mexico here. Hello. Yes, right. He's got a, uh, I bought him the garden in his backyard. Yeah. So, so yeah, is there anything, could there, could, could there be anything? Oh, the only thing I thought was that Bernie Sanders, who's like, pulling away i think i mean maybe bloomberg swoops in and steals it from him but if bernie sanders is the guy then he's the only person who hasn't actually out outwardly suggested that stacy abrams be his sidekick but i of course think he wants aoc maybe they'll try to like break the age barrier <laughs> and get aoc <laughs> but he's going to die you know statistics would say he's going to die sooner than doctor said my heart is stronger people. after my heart attack <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. But so, whoever's VP is would be a very important selection for just medical. You should, you should name Biden as VP. Oh, my gosh. That would be so funny. <laughs> then who go, gets the, the Pelosi. That's how we get President house. Pelosi. <laughs> my, that was my obscure But she's 80-something. That's what I want. I don't want anybody under 90 in that presidency. Yeah, Diane Feinstein would be like communist China. <laughs> Ancient communist China. Okay. Look, so... Coronavirus, yada, yada, or, oh, I got a couple of things. I, I'm fascinated with the coronavirus. I do, too. I have I'll a tell you why. Too. You know why I'm fascinated? I had to retweet the Johns Hopkins call to action. It's just like two pages. It's not that much to just go to Monica Perez show on Twitter. 
because every day when I read the newspaper, there's like we I think back to the call to action. It's like we need to demonstrate to international businesses that their bottom line will be hit if we have reckless, unthought out, unprepared for trade and travel restrictions. So in today's newspaper, international airlines are being hit hard, reducing growth expectations. And then another thing straight out of Event 201, it's like we or out of the action items, the Johns Hopkins action items, that short couple of pages, it says we need to uh, make people aware of the of the medical supplies that we need, you know, massive stockpiles, distribution, manufacturing on the fly, and that it isn't just masks or it isn't just hazmat uniforms. You don't know what you're going to have shortages of. So at first we heard about the masks, and now today it was protective gear, and then there was another one about local communities trying to deal with self-quarantined travelers. In, in the United how, States. Yes, they and how about they're, yes, they're overwhelmed and they just don't have the manpower for it. They don't really, like I was looking for the words, they don't have a plan. I didn't see those words, but it was very clear that, gee, these people are trying their best and they just, uh, they just don't know what to do. They need to be able to plug into some emergency orders. That's what stuck out in my mind too, that article, where it was talking about how state and local officials, they, they're collecting the information on people who are going to be self-quarantined. They're getting it from fe- federal officials who screen them at the airport, and they're starting to implement these tracking measures. We talked about how China's doing the overt, extreme mass surveillance, authoritarianism, and how other countries are mirroring what they're doing to a lesser extent. But if this continues to go on, those attempts will fail. And they will they will say, well, we better do something harder now. We better do something more because what we tried did not work. And, for example, Chicago has implemented an electronic registry where they're going to be monitoring people. That's They're going to have a basically – China is introducing an app that does that. Right, an app that and will tell you like where they rating. are at all times. <laughs> and oh, my God. They're talking about how the the effort is straining the local budgets and they're running out of money and how stricter measures because if, if based on the continuing spread that some health officials believe that they're going to be on high alert for a long time, so they're going to have to have more aggressive response for this to be sustainable. There was another thing where I saw in today's news they that different countries are get, are getting together for information sharing agreements. Yes, I saw that. On, on their citizens. So this is the thing about China. I was on Free Man Beyond the Wall yesterday, so it's probably out. Pete's show, Pete Quinones. Uh, and, and we were talking about like what these all these crazy videos coming out of China, like people being hysterical. And as we were talking, I, it occurred to me like people were being hysterical about how China's not being honest about the severity of the crisis and they're not handling it well. And then other... Videos are coming out of them blanketing entire cities with uh, with antiseptic fog yeah, and I having drones at your door. So I'm thinking the people supposedly are freaking out because China's not doing enough. And what China's doing is unbelievably crazy a lot. Too much, in my opinion, because I think this is ridiculous. And the more you panic people, the more they go to the clinics where they're going to get sick. But... I just imagine China saying, oh, you want more? (laughs) This ain't enough for you? (laughs) Here, how about this probe? I'll show you where to put it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, what they're doing. I mean, maybe that's it. An RFID 
Like a medical, Hillary used to want that, an embedded Absolutely. medical chip. They're, they're giving people red bracelets and yellow bracelets that were on that ship, the Diamond Princess. People are getting, actually, this might be in China. They're getting three different types of bracelets to determine whether they are Oh, the okay. apps are color-coded exactly like that, too. Yeah. So that is, that's getting one step closer to I- implementing the chip system so it can just be automatically registered as soon as you cough or as soon as you sneeze or something. But Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, have, they have been rerouting people that click on the hashtag coronavirus hashtag to, quote, more credible sources. It says when people tap on a hashtag related to the coronavirus on Instagram, what will surface is an educational pop-up with credible information and they are doing protective sweeps, Facebook is, on Instagram and on Facebook, in order to remove or block the spread of hashtags that is spreading misinformation. Oh, my gosh. All of those words were triggery contagion words. hmm I mean, was that what you were noticing? Read it again. Like, spread. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like it's like to inoculate the internet from dangerous info, you know? like Right, because the... The virus. They're the trying misinform- to sterilize. They call it misinformation and a virus. It. When they talk about misinformation at these educational things that is run by like Google and all that, they call misinformation a virus that spreads. I have to tell you about these two things: uh, a WHO video montage that Pete sent me before I did that show with him yesterday, and then um, another video I saw, Doctor Shiva. He's from MIT, and they both of them had just tons of like science about how vaccine adjuvants, not the actual microbes, but the stuff that they travel and they used to have mercury and now they use aluminum and stuff that 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 vaccines don't work without them, but that they are bad and uh, they need more study and they can cross interact like this was amazing to me that that stuff was getting out. But yes, it's it's. It's crazy because they are so heavily suppressing anti-vax misinfo, yeah. yet they're smoking guns that say it's totally something that the official narratives are not addressing the real depth of the science. They won't talk about it. They're not going to talk about it. They're going to find the people that agree with them, and they're going to try to silence that information. And we're getting foreshadowed that this virus is going to spread here, Japan, every other country that mm-hmm. was on that chip, the 50 countries represented on the Diamond Princess, which is, you know, that's going to end up being the center. History is going to talk about how that was the oh, center the of the outbreak. The Titanic, yeah. yes, been- the flat. I, I feel like it's there's going to be a moment, I think it would be called a flashpoint. Right. Where when Invent 201 said the first six months were like seemed totally manageable. But then over the year that followed that, so month 18, we were at a, a devastating low point. But it already said, I saw an article today in the newspaper that's today's paper, Fed optimism rose before virus hit. Fed optimism <laughs> should not have risen 11 years into an expansion with a below 2% federal funds rate. But whatevs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All the news. I could have made this prediction without the coronavirus. Right. All this news about the coronavirus and that uh, the Diamond Princess ship today has been. We don't know why they let those people off. It was shown that even if you get, don't have symptoms and you get a pos- a negative test result, that you a couple days later can have a positive test result. Now all these people are freely roaming around China, not China, Japan, 
and the only measures of quarantine or check is that the Japanese authorities are going to contact them every few days and check and see if they're infected, which I find an odd thing. You release <laughs> 500 people. It's 500 people who have been released in China. And they're Japan. going Japan, sorry. And they tested negative, but as we know, and as authorities are saying, it's very likely one of them is going to test positive. Of course, one of them is going to test positive. And if you if you think it's necessary that you need to call and check on them every two days, then it's probably not safe to release. And them. Japan is not overwhelmed. They could have them in five hundred different hospital beds, yeah, or or hotel rooms or something. But well, I don't know about that. But did you hear about the Japanese couple who died of coronavirus? That's the old how they're couple, saying. yeah, eighty seven, eighty five. Yeah. They were on that ship right they they were a married couple and did they die on the same day is that what we're <laughs> they, <laughs> so the details about that death are so, so scant yeah and it must be pneumonia that they died of you do not die you know what i mean they were a, killed by being held on that ship well they were well they tested positive before the quarantine went into effect well Let's just say this. The quarantine went into effect February 5th. They were evacuated February 11th and 12th. Okay. They tested positive February 13th because it only takes one day to test, which is was one of the curious things in the reporting about what I'm going to call the Corona 14, the 14 American evacuees who tested positive but were still allowed to go into the general evacuation airplane. But the question was, why did it take two to three days to get their results back and then when they did get the results back, why did they let them on the plane? These the reporting on this is that it only took one day to get the results back. I don't know what's more realistic. It's like Monty Python comedy of there's errors. There's no real here. story. Yeah, there's everything no, is. When oops. facts move, this is a sure sign of a psyop. When yeah. facts change, yeah, and the reporting changed again. The way that they record what oh what, did you yes. see that they changed it oh back my to gosh. the old. It's no, no, it has changed six times. The way that they measure who has yes, coronavirus? Yes, so now, yesterday, they eliminated being able to use a chest x-ray as a diagnostic measure, which makes no sense at all. That's like the ultimate diagnostic measure. That's crazy not to use that. That determines whether you have pneumonia, which is the big problem. So, yeah, so it's changed six times. So there is absolutely no way of of evaluating the actual trend. The yeah. vector vectors of a disease are so important and they're not restating them. Just you're better off to not change it. You know what that begs Just for? don't change it. Even if it's inaccurate, at least continue to take the same, take at least the, the new stat go ahead, but also continue to track the original stat throughout these changes. So at least you have some right. sense of yeah. magnitude, vector, location, whatever. This begs for something straight out of the Event 201 simulation, something that you've talked about. A global health organization, universal standards of measurement, of testing. Good point. you got to have a centralized organization that determines all yes, the rules. Yes, yes. Didn't they call it the like global pandemic board? Yeah. Something. They something gave it a like name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of who should be calling the shots on all of this. <laughs> So I feel like even though we are a little bit over, over since I teased it yesterday, yes. should we get to your – Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to get it's your quick. libertarian perspective on a story yes. out of Santa Monica, California, where secret porn videos are being filmed inside of a public library that's open during the day. And obviously this has sparked some outrage among the citizens that live in that Santa Monica County. But – while they don't want – I mean kids. There's a kid's school right by there. In the porn video, which was on Pornhub, the female actress goes outside of a school 
and exposes herself and commits a sex act with an unnamed man, and then they go into the library and they commit a sex act. They some voyeurism that they film and they put on Pornhub. And the neighbors are pressing police on social media to arrest these people for indecent exposure. But the problem is – well, this is what the lady who lives in that community said. She said, when I told police about this, they basically told me, well, it's just a misdemeanor unless you can catch them in the act of doing it. So it's really just nothing we can do unless you catch them in the act, which is funny on one level because that makes you wonder, well, how did they know it was happening? Well, because someone in that community was watching Pornhub and goes, that library looks familiar. Oh, yeah. yeah, in the at, it's record. There's a video of it. They, yeah, so somebody was looking <laughs> at porn and realized the porn they were looking at was the library down the street, and they had to tell some neighbors, say, "Hey, a friend of mine said the library was in porn. I didn't see it or anything." And so that's what. So they have to catch them in the act. So they're doing it covertly. Which is cre- – you know, it's creepy if you're in a freaking library and you look over and two people are banging. It's just not something yeah. you want to see, but I'm interested and, in the- – And, you know, is it on the table? Like, where are they doing it? What's the, are they cleaning up after them? Is that a little Lysol or I <laughs> don't – That would be very, very out of the yeah, character, You're going to get a little coronavirus there when you're reading your kids' <laughs> books? I don't, I don't I, know. I want to know what your libertarian perspective is on the public like the public decency yeah. question? Yeah. I, well, there's a couple of things. First of all – in a private society, you don't have public spaces. Certainly, I mean, if you're a minarchist, so you kind of believe in the highly limited government. My father's a minarchist, and he used to say uh, the only function, legitimate functions are national defense of government, national defense, local police, and courts. That's it. That's all he would say. So in that case, maybe you do like acknowledge the Constitution as post roads and stuff like that. But I'm an anarcho-capitalist. I don't think you need private, any, any public anything that roads are built by developers of malls and developers of apartment buildings building a road that everybody wants. So I'm not a fan of public places. I absolutely I think public libraries are like zoos in that they're like immoral because I'm not saying I'm like a big activist boycotter. I, I took my kids to the zoo, you know, but you look at it and it's just like, if I were a giraffe, I would not want to be here. And then they're like, oh, but we saved its life, whatever. Okay, I don't know. But public libraries, they I don't know if it helps the guy who writes the book or not, but it seems to me that you're violating copyright by putting everybody's books in the public library. I don't know if copyrights, which are also in the Constitution, are have a... An, uh, an easement for the government to lend your books out without charging people rent. Like, yeah. I don't understand. <laughs> My sister never buys books because she gets them at the library. I'm like, that's that's uncool. But so if you have a, a uh, private entity, you can make your own rules and throw people out if they do that stuff in there. So you really don't have that problem. But I would make a note that I think some people don't realize it's my opinion anyway, that a libertarian society would actually be much more culturally conservative than the society that we have. And you can think back at like when the, in the 60s say, when you, when you had a very much lower divorce rate, 
the powers that be or whatever, Cloward and Piven, people who like welfare, they go out of their way to cut down on marriage. They want dependence at the higher level. If you're a single mom, you can get welfare. They want you to have welfare, so they encourage that, and they put all sorts of incentives in place to undermine all that. But if you don't have that so-called safety net and you get knocked up, you are going to have to pay for that. Or your dad's going to have to pay for it. And he's probably going to, as my father would say, beat your crawler off. So I'm not suggesting that we violently abuse (laughs) women who have premarital sex. I'm just saying back in the day when there were consequences, and I don't mean your father beating you up. I mean, you had to take care of this child and work and find it. You were more cautious. And that is where you get kind of morality. Morality is, in my opinion, always consequential. So people are like, well... Do you want to go on principle or do you want to go on pragmatism? And I've always said the principle is the pragmatism. Whether morality was handed down by God or emerged from human society over 10,000 years of civilization, they're the rules, legal, moral, civil, whatever. These are the rules that emerged in a state of praxeological awareness. So I'm going to throw that Mises thing out there. Praxeology is what really happens. And common law is really designed to adjudicate on the margin whether you, like the fundamental law of don't touch me or my stuff, if there's a case where it's not crystal clear to everybody what the answer is, then you adjudicate that case. And that is the precedent. That is how our law works. That's the precedent for all to follow. Why? Because it's a real thing that happened and got resolved by some wise people. And it was then accepted as valid. Now things are getting a little, they're not as pragmatic and principled at the same time. But you get what I'm saying. It's when you're in a truly free society where you take the consequences of your actions, like Harry Brown says that a libertarian believes in uh, individual liberty and personal responsibility on all issues at all times, that will make you watch your step. And uh, and then your community will emerge with a culture that is suited to the level of liberty. Thank you for asking my opinion. Well, thank you for giving such a fantastic insight. Are you saying the community should shame those people out of that library? Uh, I don't know. I think that incentives are powerful. Or so, embrace it if they like it. Yeah, I mean, if those people, if you don't, if you don't stop people, there are no consequences then you have to use force to stop them. If you're going to use force to keep natural consequences from emerging, then you're going to have to use force to enforce a mala prohibita laws. I would love to see them redo that Seinfeld episode where Seinfeld has a stolen book from high school and the library cop, Mr. Bookman, Mr. Bookman talks like, you got to steal that book. You stole that Sydney, book. And you, yeah. you stole that book. I would like to see that, but we put it in the context of the people shooting porn inside the library. I think they could Send be Mr. Bookman day. in there as they're having porn and he can... <laughs> he stops them. He stops them from doing it. He yells at them and flashes his bag. <laughs> yeah. Badge mid, mid-porn. Tries to pry him apart. <laughs> Coronavirus. <laughs> you guys can find your Drive Time News Blast every weekday afternoon at 4 p.m. on thepropreport.com or your favorite podcasting platform with the Propaganda Report podcast feed. We will talk to y'all tomorrow.